to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. I'm Peter Roseberger, and I'm glad to have you with us. How are you doing? You know, healthy caregivers make better caregivers. Do you feel healthy today? Are you working towards it? Not just physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, professionally, in your relationships. Healthiness is the goal here. And that's what we talk about here on this program is, okay, what does that look like for caregivers? How do we move towards that? What is safe ground? What is solid ground? What, what anchors us when we become disoriented along the journey? And that's what this program is about. Hey, I got a couple of things that have been happening here I want to tell you. American Family Association is now carrying my new book at the Resource Center. And you can go to afa.net. That's the homepage. And right at the top there, you'll see AFA Resource Center. You click on that, and my book is in the Resource Center. It's called A Minute for Caregivers When Every Day Feels Like Monday. It is now available wherever books are sold. But if you buy it from the Resource Center at the American Family Association, so when you buy my book there from the Resource Center at the American Family Association webpage, it helps fund the ministries of the American Family Association. Now, you're being blessed by all the programming that goes on through this network and all the things they do. Well, here's a way you can help give back to them, plus learn some things about being a caregiver. So how about that? So go out to afa.net and look around and see the things that are available to you. But if you go click on the tab at the top where it says AFA Resource Center, and you can see all the different resources that are available there including my new book, A Minute for Caregivers, When Every Day Feels Like Monday. Also, you'll see The Stand, which is the online publication for the American Family Association. I've written for it many times. I've got a new article. I think it's going to be hitting here shortly on prayer. Do you ever struggle with knowing what to pray? I certainly do. And I talk about that and and then how I push back on that and involves the hymns. You all know that I love the hymns, play them frequently on the caregiver keyboard here. And so I talk about this new article. So a lot of things going on with that. If you'll go out to afa.net, you'll see them and take advantage of them and then also support the American Family Association. They're playing offense, which I think is kind of cool because think about all the social issues that we're playing defense on as believers across the country and around the world. And that gets old playing defense all the time. You want to you want to play offense. You want to push into enemy territory. You want to recapture things. And that's one of the things that this program is doing. We're playing offense on this program. We don't play defense. We play offense. By that I mean we're going to the caregivers where they are, speaking in a way they understand and helping point them to solid ground, helping point them to a place where they can stand and catch their breath. That's the whole point. For the longest time, I used to think of myself as a, um, well, let me set it up. There are a lot of people out there that speak to caregivers, and they're kind of like, they're there, and put an arm around your shoulder, and they console, and, you know, basically anything you could get out of a Hallmark card and just write in the word caregiver. That's not what I do. I've always been kind of like, don't go down there. That's a bad place. (laughs) Don't go down. But now I really want to change this. And this new book for me represents that whole initiative. Okay, it's not enough to say, don't go down there. Here's what I want to say. Let's go 
there. This is the path to safety. This is how we're going to get there. This is where we're going. What does scripture say about this? Where there is no vision, the people do what? They perish. So it's not enough to just talk about things not to do. What do we do as caregivers? What does this look like? What does it look like to trust in God when you have someone in your life who suffers daily? Back and forth the hospitals, the constant crisis du jour, when you can't have a five-year plan, you can't have a five-month plan. In some cases, you can't have a five-day plan. But what does that look like to learn to be content in the moment? you got business decisions you have to make. You have you know, all kinds of things that have to be done. How do you live in the moment with this? That's what this book is about. And we do it one minute at a time. And we talk about here's the destination because I am convinced. You back me up. You're caregivers. You listen to this program. I'm convinced that if our heart is a mess, if our emotional state is just a dumpster fire, how in the world are we going to be good caregivers? What will our caregiving look like? So the battle is not how to learn to to deal with insurance companies, for example. The battle is not how to better learn all the tips of dealing with somebody with dementia. Those are great skills to have. We all should have them. We should all have good wound dressing skills for those of us who live with people with a lot of physical problems and, and trauma injuries like what Gracie's had, wound care and things such that. We should all have those skills, but that's not the battle. The battle for us as caregivers is always in our hearts because if we are filled with fear, if we are so resentful because we feel obligated, if we feel so much guilt that it just pushes us down, almost paralyzes us, it doesn't matter what our skill sets are. That's the whole point of this program, of my book, of everything else. Let's deal with the core issues. I can't tell you how to take care of your loved one any more than you can tell me how to take care of Gracie. It would be stupid for either of us to try. But what we can do is remind each other of what solid ground looks like to remind us where safety is. I feature an eclectic group of quotes at the end of every chapter of my new book. In this particular chapter, it's called Unexpected Leadership. And remember, these chapters are only one minute. You can literally read them in one minute. Well, the quote at the end of this one, and the, the context is that sometimes we as caregivers have to provide leadership to people who are far more trained than we are, in many cases smarter than we are. You know, they're, they're, they're skilled at what they do. I mean, I've had to confront surgeons and, and so forth. And these are people who got a whole lot more horsepower than I do. But I know Gracie, and I am her caregiver, and I know the things about her that they will never know because they can't spend the time with her. Well, you're the same way with your loved one. And the quote at the end of it refers to what I'm talking about here in this segment and it's an old army saying, and it says, sometimes the leader is the guy that remembers where the Jeep is parked. Do you remember where the Jeep is parked? Because it's so easy to get lost. And if we're waiting on this protocol of, well, the guy's in charge, he's going to tell us what to do. We're just going to follow him and we'll just stay running around the woods for a while. But if you know where the Jeep is parked, you have to raise your hand and say, yep, here's the Jeep over here. Let's go this way. And if a buck private knows where the Jeep is, but the two-star general doesn't, guess who's in charge until they get back to the Jeep? Okay? That's the concept. 
we as caregivers, it's important for us to know where the Jeep is parked. How do we get out of this? Are we lost? Where do we go? And that's the whole message of this program. And I remember when I started doing the radio show over a decade ago, and and this one big radio station in Nashville, they said, well, we don't see this as being a viable topic. (laughs) How are you going to fill up an hour talking about caregivers? (laughs) I looked at the other day on my podcast. We have over 700 episodes on my podcast. That's pretty extraordinary, don't you think? For a show that doesn't have any viability? 700 episodes. You're caregivers. You in this audience are caregivers. You know how important this is and how we need to have this for each other. And I am so grateful to be along the journey with you. We've got to go to a break, but after the break, Colonel Oliver North joins us for the rest of the program. He is a caregiver, just like you and me. When I wrote this book, I sent over the manuscript to his publishing company, and they said, we have to run it by the CEO, which is Colonel North. Two weeks later, I get an email back, and it said, we've got to publish this book. And he asked if he could write the forward to it, which I was like, wow, are you kidding me? Of course you can. And so he's going to join us for the rest of the program, and I think you're going to be incredibly moved by this. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back with Colonel Oliver North. to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. So glad that you're with us. HopeforTheCaregiver.com. I am joined by a man who needs no introduction. I am thrilled to have Colonel Oliver North joining me. He published my book. In fact, he's the responsible for this book being out there. I sent this manuscript over to them, and he jumped on it because of his own journey as a caregiver. And I invited him to come on the program today and share a little bit of his heart, things that he's learning his story as a caregiver, and whatever other insights he has. So, Colonel North, it is such a treat to have you here. So thank you for joining us. Peter, it's great to be with you. It's great to have this book out in print because it's going to be helpful to so many people just like me. I want to get into your story. You've been caring for your wife, Betsy, for some time, but I want to ask you, as I ask all my guests, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Thanks to your book. I'm doing a lot better than I was. And I mean that. Uh, it's very rare that I, and I've, I've read and written and published a lot of books. Okay. And I sincerely mean this. When you can set a book down after you finished it and say, I'm a better person today than I was before I started it and mean it. That's what happened to me with this book. I read that manuscript. And I, I picked up the phone and called my partner in this business, Gary Tarashita at Fidelis Publishing and said, we have got to publish this book. And it was the manuscript that sold me on it. And, it, and of course, you got it cleaned up and here it is. And well, so I have, I'm a I have to clean up book. my manuscript a lot, you know, <laughs> because I was not the best student in the world, Colonel North. I, The first manuscript I turned in had so many red marks on it. I thought it had been stabbed. 
you know, and so I've had to do a lot of work, but no, they were, they were very gracious to help me with all this. And I'm, I'm very moved that you found it meaningful to you. How did you two meet? How did you and Betsy meet? My cousin worked for Betsy. Betsy was a graduate. Uh, she'd been to college in Virginia, then a graduate degree in, in uh, Penn State in marketing. She was a, a retail sales manager for the Hecht Company, which at the time was a very big uh, department store. It's all gone now, of course. But my cousin worked for her. And she kept telling me that, that she was working for this absolutely gorgeous young woman who was, who was super nice and, and the right kind of person. And, and that I would really love to meet her. And so I, I kind of concluded that if the Marine Corps wanted me to have a wife, they'd have issued me one. And so I didn't bother to go by until my brother showed up. And my little brother was on his way to Vietnam. I was still a midshipman at the Naval Academy. And and my little brother went straight through. He went right out of high school. I enlisted right out of high school in the Marine Corps Reserve. I goofed around for three years before I ever got to the Naval Academy. And so Jack was on his way to Vietnam, and he stayed with my cousin's family overnight on his way basically to say goodbye to folks before he left for the war. And so Jack calls me up at the Naval Academy. He says, Kathy says, there's this drop-dead gorgeous woman. She works for, I'd like to go meet her tomorrow. Can you come pick me up? Because I was an upperclassman, I had a car. I went and picked him up in Crofton, Maryland, took him over to the Heck Company store in Montgomery Mall. And we're going up the escalator to where Kathy worked for Betsy. And Jack gives me the elbow and says, if she's anything like that blonde at the top of the stairs with a mini skirt and those long legs and that blonde hair, I will date her. Well, of course, it was her. Okay. <laughs> That's how I met with my brother trying to pick her up. And if he hadn't left for the war the next day, I might, I might have missed out. But 55 years ago, we got married. It'll be 55 years in, in uh, November 13th. Some, one, one of our grandchildren asked me, there's a picture of Betsy and me on the cover of Life magazine back in 1987. And, and I've told all the youngsters, we got 18 grandkids. I said, you get to the appropriate age, I'll answer any question you ask truthfully. And so he looks at the picture and he says, and all of our grandkids call Betsy Nan, because that's what she called her grandmother. Okay, so they all call her Nan. He's looking at this picture, which we don't, you know, we're not advertising. It's up in a, in a corner back home. And he says, Nan was a beautiful woman. And I said, you're just a recent college graduate. If you ever use past tense to decide, describe a woman's beauty again, she'll shoot you first and then write you out of the will. And so he's, now he's trying to make, make up for it. And he says, well, uh, uh, was it love at first sight? And I said, I, I promised I'd tell you the truth. No, it was lust. Okay. But the good Lord turned it into love and gave us four beautiful children and now 18 grandkids. And he has. He also has given me a challenge I never expected. It's a physical challenge. It's a, it's a mental, emotional, uh, spiritual, and financial challenge that I never expected. And that's becoming her caregiver. When did you all become believers? I was 35. She was 34. Uh, I worked for a man who we're going to see here because we're down in the low country of South Carolina. They live in uh, Charleston. We're, we're going to see them here in, in a, a day or two. Because they're dear, dear friends. He was my battalion commander. And it wasn't just his knowing the words. He was raised a Southern Baptist. He knows every verse and in, in, in the right sequence. And I grew up Roman Catholic. 
Roman Catholics didn't have Bibles in their churches for crying out loud. And, and so I learned the Bible as a consequence of watching this man and his behavior. And so when he came to me and he gave me a copy of this book, and, and this is not the copy that I have in my hand that he gave me, because the one he gave me is in pieces beside my bed at home. He said, read this on the way across the Atlantic Ocean. And we were getting ready to deploy for seven months out to the Mediterranean from Camp Lejeune. And so I followed orders. I started at Genesis, wondering who he was. I got to Leviticus and almost quit. And finally, I got to Matthew's Gospel. And there in Matthew's Gospel is the passage that, that changed my life. And it's Matthew describing... Uh, what it's like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's, an, it's something I can understand. It's this passage about the centurion, a Roman soldier, an infantry officer. I'm an infantry officer. I understand soldiering. I understand what this member of the occupying army was doing in Capernaum. And I've now been to Capernaum dozens of times leading groups to the Holy Land. In fact, Betsy and I led six groups over 12 years to the Holy Land. And there, reading about it, and right as we're coming into the Mediterranean, Capernaum is a place that's very important to the Roman economy because they've got salt and they've got fish. And there is Jesus Christ preaching, and the Roman soldier has heard enough about him. He comes down from his barracks at the top of the mountain, at the top of the hill above the city. And he says to Jesus, I've got a sick servant at home. Would you heal him? And Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing, forgive me. Sure, let's go. And the Roman officer says, no, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come into my house. I'm a man of authority. I can tell someone to come and they come. I can tell someone to go and they go. All you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. Just as John Grinnells had healed me, kneeling in the dirt over my broken body. And John Grinnells, his modeled behavior was what led me to say, these are the words of Jesus Christ. This is the person I want to be a follower of. And at the same time that was happening to me out in the Mediterranean, his wife Norwood was doing that to the wives of those of us who were deployed. And she led Betsy to the Lord the same way, by her example and by learning the words in that book. So we were blessed right from the get-go. That was 1977. So I was just barely 35. And, and for the last 40-some-odd years, we've known Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that's a darn good thing because there's no good reason for me to be alive. I've been almost dead so many times, it's it's hard to count them all. And yet Jesus was saving me for a purpose. And now that purpose is I'm that I'm that person who is her caregiver, first and foremost. And you've taught me a lot of how to do better at it. Well, you're very gracious to to say that. And I, I'm listening to that because I know enough of your story to know how your faith must have been tremendously tested in very dark and lonely times. And then to go through all that you've gone through. And then now here at the sunset era of your life, where you'd like to be able just to sit back and relax, <laughs> it's being tested in ways that you never expected. Sure. What is a, what is a verse? What is a passage in scripture that particularly sustains you now as a caregiver and why? Well, Romans 8, 28, we know all things work together for good for those who love God, uh, for those who are called according to his purpose. I think I got it right. And, and that certainly is relevant to where I am right now. And all things 
will work together for good, not necessarily by my definition, okay? I know where I'm going and why I'm going there and where, and why she's going there. Because our Lord and Savior is going to say, well, well, don't throw him into hell. I want, he's one of mine. I want him me where, where, where I am for my greater honor and glory, right? That wonderful passage. So, well, it's like Alistair Biggs said with the, uh, he had a great message about the thief on the cross that shows up into heaven and they're asking, why are you here? He said, well, the man on the middle cross said I could come, <laughs> you know, and that's it. that's it. Yeah. And so all things work together for good. And, and the good is not my definition. I mean, what we've, what we have given up the spontaneity of what we look forward to. I mean, I, I promised her I was going to retire at 80. Okay. And almost made it. I, I retired a little bit before 80 because of this. One of the great blessings of my life is I've spent my entire life in the, in the company of heroes. My dad was the first hero I ever knew, a hero from World War II. All my uncles were Marines, and they were all heroes in the Korean War, World War II, or both. And so I did, I did that for 25 years in the Marines, and then Fox News hired me, and Fox paid me a heck of a lot more to get shot at than the Marine Corps did. And thank God, because we saved, we saved a lot. And thank we thankfully we did because now we're we're caught in a situation where we need it and we need the we need the help. So the spontaneity of what we caught, caught on the the bucket list of Betsy if, if if Betsy were here in the room right now and I said what are the first three things you want to do as soon as you get better? I said well I want to lead another group to Israel. We did six of them over a twelve year period of fifty plus over a hundred sometimes and it was a powerful experience. I learned something every time I went. And I've been to Israel over 30 times in my life. So I do another trip to Israel. I'd love to do another river cruise. The last river cruise we did was from Paris down to Normandy to celebrate the sacrifice on a, on a June morning in 1944. Mm -hmm. And we did a bunch of other rivers. And she said, well, go down to my beach house in South Carolina. And of course, that's where we are now for the longest period in all the years she she designed and built this house one of the things i tell all my male friends and all my male 11 grandsons marry up i did and you want to know what marry up is check the last the last verses of the of proverbs 31 and you'll find out the kind of woman i married and that's the kind of woman you want to marry. we're going to take a quick break here we're talking with colonel oliver north and we're talking about caregiving. We're talking about trusting Christ in it. We're going to hear some more of his thoughts on that when we come back. This is Peter Rosenberg. This is Hope the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Oh, let this one heart give you all. Take this one heart, dear Lord, and fill it with your love. Take this one life, dear Lord, and honor you above by living faithfully. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. Yes, this I is Peter Roseberger. That is my wife, Gracie. And that is the first song I think I ever heard her sing. It's called One Heart. We recently got in the studio and cut that again. And I just love listening to her sing. And it's, well, it does more to me than I can express here on this program. Living faithfully in your love. 
We're continuing our conversation with Colonel Oliver North. And we heard in the last block the fabulous story about how he and his wife met, the journey they've had, the things that she had hoped that they would do as they approached the sunset years. And she finally got him to slow down. Not easy to get a Marine to slow down. You don't ever say former Marine, by the way. You always, my dad, 30 something years in the Navy, he'll tell you, you don't say former Marine. They are a Marine, period. Did I get that right, Colonel? And I am an infantry officer. <laughs> exactly. And by the way, she constantly reminds me, she is a civilian. She, <laughs> and she outranks you. Exactly. <laughs> so, <I work> yes. <laughs> you took a different turn than what you expected for your retirement. You outlined this in the forward that you graciously wrote in my book. And tell us a little bit about what happened, what that was like, and then where you have gone now since then. So I would, in 2018, I was on an overseas deployment. Most of my deployments for Fox were a lot shorter than those that I covered, but I did over 60 embeds, as they called them, with different U.S. and allied units over the course of the 20-some-odd years of this war. And so I'd come back from a deployment covering the, the attack to liberate Mosul from ISIS. And I'd been gone for a couple of months and got back. I thought Betsy had a stroke. Now, Betsy was on a trip with one of our daughters. I was I was not wounded. It said wounded in the press release, and I wasn't, but I'd been hurt running so I wouldn't get wounded. And in the middle of the night, fell in a hole, crushed my right knee, took a wonderful Air Force flight back to the States. Uh, the C-17 Nightingales are flying hospitals. And uh, through Launchville, Germany, back to the States, out to what is now Walter Reed Hospital, and a U.S. Army major who I'd seen earlier in the war overseas uh, operated, put a brand new experimental knee in my in my right leg. And a day later, I was home and Betsy got home and I thought she'd had a stroke. She didn't know I was going to be in surgery. So she comes back from Ireland with one of our nurse daughters at some international conference. And long and short of it, I did think she got a stroke. And so I said to the kids, what, what have you done about mom? The right side of her body is just it's spastic. It's weak. She, she couldn't use the walker that they'd gotten for her because, as she told the hospice nurse at one point, the hospice doctor at one point, he said, why aren't you using the walker? She says, because this is the only hand that works. She's shaking it left hand. At him. And if I use the walker, all I do is walk in circles. <laughs> You're fired. And he came right back with, oh, no, not again. So there's moments of great cognitive dissonance with Betsy, but there's also some really bright and humorous moments. Long and short of it, I took her out to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. A friend of ours was there, made the appointment. Four days later, they had the diagnosis. It's all uh, symptomatic. There's no blood test. There's no x-ray. There's no MRI. There's no imagery that you can use to certainly say this is what it is, but it did it's called degenerative corticobasal syndrome. I'd never heard of it. I had no idea what it was about. Uh, it, and it describes the various symptoms, and they're very graphic. And it describes the trajectory for this malady, and it's always death. And uh, I didn't put that in the foreword just because Betsy was reading the foreword, and I didn't want to. She knows that she's got a terrible disease. She knows that she has enough cognizant recognition of what's happening she knows I'm I'm not, not like I used to be. And so 
I, I started learning everything I could about this and there's no there's no particular medicine for it. There's other medicines that are used for other purposes. And so I very quickly learned to rely on you know our pastor, uh, who's a devout believer and a, and a great leader of the Lord of a wonderful parish and in, a, in an Anglican church, on, on good friends who had been through these kinds of things, on our kids, two of whom are nurses, one of whom is married to a doctor, and eventually to hospice. But in the middle of all that, you're going through this incredible, well, as I said, the biggest challenges of my life, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and financially. Never been through anything like it. And, and, and by the way, I've got to stop you on that because that says something because you've been through quite a few challenges. Oh, yeah, but nothing like this. You're right. Mm. But all, I've been almost dead a bunch of times. And, and just like you put in this book, there are times when it, it is deeply, deeply depressing. If you sit and dwell on that long enough, you can see why people who, who are caregivers sometimes precede the person they're caring for in death. Now, I'm not that down, but I've been down. And so when you're discovering drug interactions that nobody knew about, or when you're experiencing what, what I now call sundowner syndrome, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon, the world changes. Make sure you get the right meds into it at three o'clock in the afternoon. And if you don't, you're going to pay a price. All of those kinds of things that are happening were new to me. And what, what helped immeasurably was this little book, which you, I, I guess you could take all 100 and whatever chapters it is, just one, one a day for that length of time. I ended up sitting in the bathroom 15, 15 <laughs> chapters at a time, okay, and just desperate to get that kind of input and to have reinforced in me those Bible verses, Romans 8, 28, knowing where she's going. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your lips, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we know where we're going. I just didn't expect it to be happening right now. And so I'm grateful for, if you're listening to this broadcast and you're a caregiver, you need this book. And, and the other one that I got open in front of me, and that's the Holy Bible. So that's how, that's how I get through it, brother. That, again, you're very gracious, and that's one of the reasons I wrote this book. And all of this for me, Colonel North, is my efforts to speak to the 22-year-old version of myself who married a woman with a broken body and just had no clue. I was dumber than a box of hammers. <laughs> and and I put it in simple ways. And I, and I, I wrote – I was writing out an interview uh, for a written interview I was doing, and they asked me a bunch of questions yesterday. And one of them is I, I made a bold statement. I said – because I speak fluent caregiver, every sentence in this book, a caregiver is going to understand. Yeah. And I, and I mean that because I, I, people say, well, you could, you know, your stuff applies to more than just caregivers. You could have a bigger audience. And I said, I'm not called to a bigger audience. I'm called to reach my fellow caregivers to comfort. One of my favorite verses in scriptures is what Paul says in Corinthians, you comfort one another with the same comfort that you yourself have received from the God of all comfort. And that's, that's kind of where I live because I realized what do I have that I have not received? And I, I remember asking my pastor many years back in Nashville when we lived there, Jim Bachman, and I said, you know, I've been listening to amazing sermons, amazing teaching. I've had the benefit of all this. What is my stewardship opportunity and responsibility with this? I mean, am I just, is this supposed to just be stuck with me or do I have a responsibility? And I do have a responsibility. And I believe scripture teaches that 
So all I'm doing is passing on what others have poured into me. I've just aggregated it, but doing it one minute at a time. And I loved what you did with your Ford. You just got right to it. And one of my favorite chapters in the book, there was a scene from that movie, We Were Soldiers, which is one of my all-time favorite movies, where Mel Gibson playing Colonel Hal Moore. And I imagine you knew Hal Moore. Indeed. And he got up and, and, and when, when everything was just going and it was just all falling apart and those young men were so scared. And he said, we're going to take that creek bed. We're going to take that hill. We're going to do this. Everything was very micro-stepped out. And so when you rode your forward, it was, again, very terse, just like a Marine would. But I think that's what we need as caregivers. We don't need these long treatises. We need it one minute at a time. Say it clearly. Say it understandably so that we can function. Because when it's all coming at you, I don't know about you, but I, I get very disoriented at times. We're, we're solid ground. Uh, just a sidebar on on uh, Hal Moore and, and Mel Gibson. When I interviewed Hal Moore for the documentary we were doing for Fox, he said to me off camera, I wish it had been on camera. He says, I said, well, what did you think of the movie? He said, well, if I'd ever led a charge with my 45 like Mel Gibson did, they'd have court-martialed me instead of giving me a medal. <laughs> <laughs> you, as a Marine, and I grew up in a, with a father who's, you know, the military is extremely important to my father. And I have a bunch of family members that served. My son was in the army, but you bring a lifetime of discipline and training of tactical and strategic thinking. Did that serve you well as a caregiver when you found yourself in it? Were you able to go back and lean on it? Did you have to re upend it? Did you have to, how did that work? No, no, because in, in, in combat, what saves the lives of those who are responsible for the lives of others and theirs is situational awareness. I had no situational awareness whatsoever. I had no way of preparing for this. The wonderful thing about the military is when they send you into combat, you're about as well-trained in our military as you could possibly be. There's nothing like it in the world, but there's nothing that prepares you for what's going to happen to you as a caregiver. So the spontaneity of life that was there, the kinds of things that you plan to do on your bucket list that are never going to happen, everything that you do every day takes longer than you ever could think of it being possible. And I'm not trying to be crude, but there's, there's personal things that have to be done for personal cleanliness and things like that, that it takes me 15 seconds to deal with. It takes me 15 minutes to deal with it for Betsy. Okay. Those th that, and I'm not smart enough to write a book in 10 minute increments. And you, know, you and I've gotten some special time right now because one of my dearest friends who's a doctor retired is keeping Betsy at bay long enough for us to finish this because 10 minutes about every 10 minutes i get betsy i got a question for this i got a question for that i need to go to the bathroom i need to do this and sometimes it's i'll look at my watch and say "Ooh, ooh i missed the three o'clock dose of such and such a medicine and you can tell because or the oxygen you know she's got 24 7 oxygen now well who thought about doing that and they started out with these great big tanks and now we're on these little generators and things like that but you got to make sure that those things are working right. I'm, everything in life takes a lot longer. I, I fix in the evening meal every day and breakfast most days. And it takes me a lot longer today than it used to when I just run downstairs, put the burgers and dogs on the grill, make the salad, put the tomatoes on top of the buns and bring them upstairs. Not anymore. Everything takes twice as long as you once thought it would. Meanwhile, everybody's going, hey, uh, we're going to have dinner tonight. Hold that thought. I want to talk about that more when we come back from the break because the pace of caregiving can take its own toll on you. And I love what you talk about with loss of situational awareness. We become disoriented. 
We're talking with Colonel Oliver North. He published my new book called A Minute for Caregivers, When Every Day Feels Like Monday. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. We're talking with Colonel Oliver North, and I wanted to circle back to what you said just before the break, the pace that changes when you become a caregiver. There is friction at having to go at a pace that you're not in control of. Fair statement? Right word. Right word. In fact, most of us want to have some degree of control over what's happening in our lives. In fact, one of the things that frustrates Betsy so much is she knows, I mean, this is a woman who is incredibly capable. I mean, remember, I was, I was gone for most of our marriage, okay, up until this. She was at Camp Lejeune drinking the water down there for two and a half years. I was probably on the base with her and her and our family for less than four months total over those two and a half years. And that's mm. because we were always deployed somewhere. I mean, we went off for two six-month deployments to the Mediterranean. I spent two full years overseas in Vietnam in the, in the aftermath of that. And so my life was one of being absent and in total control because I was the boss, right? I was either the company commander or the operations officer for the battalion or controlling what was going on in my life. And she was doing the rest of it. She did all the bills. She paid the mortgage. She did the, made sure that the lights stayed on and the water kept running and the kids got to school and they had clothes, all of that stuff. Did the taxes every year. In fact, worked for H&R Block. This is a very bright woman. And as I said, married up, Proverbs 31. And so I look at those control things of hers and mine that no longer exist. She can't tell you why she needs to go to bed. She just has to go to bed. She can't tell you why she's got to get up in the middle of the night, but she has to, okay? She can't control over what time she's going to eat something. She can't just go and stand up by herself and go get a cookie or, or have a cup of coffee that she used to, she has no coffee at all anymore. Her tastes have changed completely. And so the lack of spontaneity on my part and the lack of spontaneity on hers creates enormous conflicts. So for me to take an entire hour out of a day, if I didn't have a really close friend and a doctor friend who'd been my radio operator in Vietnam, by the way, just your average Marine, right? Comes back and, and becomes a doctor. He's now retired. We were trying to find one of the granddaughters to ride down here to the beach with us from Virginia. And Jim and I were on the phone right after, because they've all got, they're going to this camp or they're teaching that or they're doing this sport. Well, we ran out of caregivers. And so Jim said, I'll ride down with you. He can do that. And he did, thank God. And so what we've got is Jim out there running playing guard. My exhaustion factor was I don't get to work out any time I want anymore. If I can get a 10-minute workout in on the uh, elliptical that the kids and Betsy bought for me years ago, so I don't have to run anymore, just get on the elliptical. I'm blessed, but I don't get to do that three times a week. And it's because every time I start something, something else happens that I got to pay attention to. And sometimes it's a doctor's appointment. Sometimes it's a nurse calling. Sometimes it's one of the kids calling with better advice than I was getting from somebody else. And all of it needs to be done. And it's just, I mean, this book, by the way, this minute for caregiver. No, seriously, I've, 
forgive my, my shameless promotion of this book. This book saved me, okay? I was desperate. I, we had not yet started hospice. Hospice has been an enormous help in our neighborhood. It's not the same way everywhere. I understand that. But in, in our case, it has been a tremendous help. And I would never have started it but for what I read in this book about the need, a caregiver's need for help giving care. That's what this is. But see, all this for me, I learned this all at the, uh, at the school of hard failure and, uh, <laughs> uh, I've had ample time to make pretty much every kind of mistake you can make. I think for me, Colonel North is that I chafed against what I thought needed to happen. And there was an epiphany that I came to that. Can I be settled in my heart? Can I be at peace no matter what's going on with Gracie? And she lives with relentless pain every day. It's, it's brutal for her. Must I be miserable? Does that help her if I'm miserable while she's feeling all this pain and misery? No, it doesn't. Well, if it doesn't, then what do I do about it? And what more importantly, what does the scripture say about it? I can be content in all these things. Scripture says I can. I can be at peace with the pace. The pace of caregiving will dictate how we're going to live. Can we be at peace with it? Or are we going to chafe against it? A lot of people quote Jeremiah 29, 11, mm. which is, I know the plans I have for you. And that's, I love that passage. However, they don't read a couple of verses up above it because they were praying, please get us out of here. Please take us back home. We're done with this. We don't want this. Take us out, which is kind of the caregiver's prayer. Get us out of this. Yeah. And, and, and God says through Jeremiah, be still. I put you here. Go ahead and get married, build houses, plant vineyards, have children, have grandchildren. I'll move you when I'm ready because I know the plans I have for you. That's the context of that verse. For me as a caregiver, that was an incredible moment to understand that, that God says, this is where you are. This is where I've put you. I have not abandoned you. Be still and trust me. And how do I know that I can trust him? It's because of the cross. That's solid ground for me to say, okay, he saw to it that I was born. He saw to it that I believed, and he will see me all the way through to glory and Gracie and Betsy and Oliver and all the rest of us that put our trust in him, this is what anchors me in those moments when I hang my head in weariness and frustration and grief and sorrow. And I look and I say, Lord, please. But then I go back to that. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ. This is why I wrote this book that you were so gracious to publish, because I wanted my fellow caregivers to see this and understand it in a way that made sense to them as a caregiver. And I can't Thank you enough for affirming that, 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 it, that I hit the mark from one, just one caregiving husband to another. What are your thoughts about marriage as, the, as a husband in this situation? Because a lot of men now are starting to become more are caregivers more than they used to be. Uh, in sickness and in health, good times and bad, never expected that I'd be in that situation. In fact, almost everybody who's, who's known us any length of time automatically assumed she would bury me. So I've got my, my spot at Arlington already picked out, right? In the case of a military person, they put him down eight feet so that he can put her down when she comes. And that, that's most often the way that they inter the wife on top of the husband. So Betsy's always said, well, I'm going to be in charge. And so <laughs> I got you, honey. The, the fact is, I believe, I believe the vows that we took at marriage. I believe that marriage is the best thing that ever happened to us. The byproducts of those, that marriage are those four kids, their mates, and now 18 grandkids. So my mission in life is not just to prove to them what a good caregiver is, 
but to show them. But I want those, those 18 grandkids to say, I mean, not all the battles, not all the medals, not all the stuff, but on the back of that gravestone at Arlington, I want them to put down, he showed us how to fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith. Now, for Marine, the words Semper Fidelis aren't just a slogan, always faithful is a way of life. So I have no choice. I have to be a good caregiver, the best possible caregiver. That's why your book helped. There's a passage in, in, in Mark's gospel, ninth chapter. Jesus is walking along through town, and the father comes up and says, my son has been afflicted with the demons ever since he was a child. And he's throwing himself in the water, tried to kill himself, tried to burn himself. Your, your friends over here tried to, tried to save him and couldn't. Why couldn't he drive him out? And Jesus said, you have to believe. And he says, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. Right? That's my favorite passage. In so, okay. And, and the, you know what? Caregivers know all about that. Even if they don't know that verse, my prayer has been, Lord, you work miracles. You can solve Betsy's problem, boom, like that. You can, you can do it with any of us. And Jesus goes up and asks a bunch of questions he knows the answers to. Why is he doing that? Everybody around, pay attention, because I'm going to do something really important here. Jesus already knows the answers to all the questions he asks. But he wants those, the 12 and the, the crowd that's gathered around him, to hear this because it's important. Jesus has been teaching me how to be a better follower of him, just put my faith in him. It's going to be all right. It may not work out quite the way I think it should or Peter thinks it should, but it's going to work out okay. Romans 8.28 is true. Romans 10.9 is true. You have to believe in Mark's gospel is true. And so my encouragement is that you are encouraging thousands and thousands of others like me caught in what's the right answer? Why isn't, why isn't there a miracle? And so my prayer has been, Lord, work a miracle. But if that's not to be, please take her gently. And unlike most people who've ever been afflicted with this, she is not in pain. After she fell and broke her hip, the only thing she had for pain was Tylenol. The government of the United States gave me, gave me a brand new knee. I took every pain med they had. It didn't bother me a bit. She didn't need it. And it's because the good Lord says, you're going to, this isn't going to bother you. It's going to, your, your hip's going to be all right. And that, that happened right here in this building on, on New Year's Eve. After she'd already been diagnosed with this, this degenerative cortical basal stuff, we were down here for, for New Year's. There's this crash. All the little kids had gone to bed. The grown-ups were still outside watching the, the ball drop up in New York with Griff Jenkins, my cameraman for all those earlier trips, now is on the correct side of the camera. He's, he's got his own show, and he was down here to film. The Chinese balloon was shot down right off my wife's walkway out to the beach. Well, it started out here in Montana, and, <laughs> and I, somebody said, well, you can't shoot that down. You need a 50 caliber. And I said, we're in Montana. That's not going to be a problem. <laughs> well, I wish you had it because it, it, literally the camera, with the, the long lens that captured it was the Fox camera. And it was right there on her, the walkway out to the beach, right, right from her house here. So, yeah. But look, at bottom line, what you've done is inspire me. I think it's going to be inspiring to everybody who reads it. If, if you're going through any of the things that Peter and I have just talked about and you don't know some answers, you got to read this book. And, and I, I'm grateful personally, and I can assure you, my kids are grateful too. Says, Dad, you got a better attitude now. 
So yeah, I got inspired right here in this book. Thank you. Well, Colonel North, that's incredibly meaningful to hear. From one caregiving husband to another, we have a savior that understands caring for a wounded bride. And that gives me great comfort and great, great hope. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Thank you so much for the time. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.